0: You may be seated. Well, it's a privilege, I said, to preach, and I'm grateful that I could be here and do this. In my wallet, which I don't keep with me, and as a matter of fact, it's right down here. I'm going to grab it real quick. In my wallet is probably something similar that many of you have in your wallet How many of you have one of these, a credit card in your wallet? Anybody have a credit card in their wallet? Now, there's a lot of people not a big fan of credit cards because of what it does. If you've ever read any Dave Ramsey stuff, he would encourage you to try to get rid of it. And um, I have a debit card and a credit card in my wallet. This one is from my bank, and it's backed by Visa Signature, and they have a credit limit of how much they think I'm worth and the value of what they th- or the risk, I guess, that they think I am. Now, I remember my first credit card, 1997. I was looking to buy a ring for a girl that I wanted to marry me. She's in the back row right back there, <clears throat> and I had saved up a bunch of money, and I thought it was a lot of money. I was a senior in college, and I went to the jewelry store to look at rings, and of course, no matter how much money you've saved, the ring you're looking at is always more than you've saved up. And so I was looking at the rings. I thought, and you know, they put the pressure on you. She's going to wear this the rest of her life. So this is not the time to chintz out. (laughs) Thanks for the pressure as a kid that still owed money on his school bill. So I figure out the one I want. I'm short. And he says, well, you could apply for the credit card. And that could cover the rest probably of what you needed. So I thought... You know, I'm 22 years old. That sounds like a smart thing, you know. And so they they get all your information and the lady goes back, runs it through the system, comes back. How much risk do you think I was worth? Now some of you are gonna guess, so I'm gonna give you the opportunity to guess. What how much risk do you think the bank thought I was worth? Three thousand. That's very generous. They did not think I was worth three thousand. Anybody else? $500. $500. That is how much the bank thought I was worth risking on, $500. And the lady said, you're almost there. (laughs) The money I had saved plus that was almost there. So I came back later with the rest of the money, and that was my first credit card. And it had a limit. When I got it, I'd never had a credit card before. It had an expiration date on the back. And that, what I thought was, that sounds a little bit like life. Limits and expiration dates. And when I was preparing this message and the scripture that I am going to read for you today, that was one of the things that first came into my thought process was limits and expiration dates. And one of the great fears people have in life is that there will not be enough. It's running out. And we call that a scarcity mentality, that there will not be enough. Things are running out. Scarcity mentality is basically this, the thought there's not enough of it or there will eventually be a shortage. Have you ever wondered in your life, If there was enough of something, enough food, enough time, enough friends, enough energy, enough happiness, enough savings. On the other hand, there's a term in the scripture, and that is abundance. And abundance means this, having more than enough all the time. And so today I would like to discuss that with you how does Jesus help us move from the mindset of scarcity to the mindset of abundance and I'm excited to get into God's word so we're going to pull up on the screen this is Mark 8:14 through 21 if you have your bibles would you go to Mark 8:14 through 21 and we're going to read that scripture This morning, this is Jesus on a boat with his disciples, and he had just finished feeding 4,000 people in the book of Mark. And they're on a boat and they're heading across the Sea of Galilee, Mark 8, 14 through 21. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and only had one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing amongst themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts. Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? How many of you know that when Jesus asks a question, it's not for him? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000s, how many basketfuls of leftovers did you collect? 12, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls It's full of pieces. Did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand? I titled the message for this afternoon, Remember the Abundance. Would you say that with me? And if you're listening online, say it with me. Remember the abundance. Last week, Matt mentioned, what would it be like if Jesus came on earth? And he had this answer. He said, I don't know where Jesus would be or necessarily what he would be doing, but I think he would make us uncomfortable because a lot of the time when we find Jesus interacting with someone, he was making them uncomfortable or what he was doing was making them uncomfortable. God will disrupt you. You see, God will do whatever it takes to make you into the person he has called you to be or he has made you to be. Sometimes I think Jesus would wake up in the morning and think, Who could I disrupt today? And mainly because it seems like Jesus was always disrupting the comfortable or he was comforting the disrupted. And that's what we see in our text today. Jesus is on the boat with his disciples. He had just fed 4,000. They're discussing amongst themselves that we didn't bring enough bread. And Jesus says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And of course, they're confused. And this is classic Jesus. Some of you think it would be cool to hang out with Jesus. Well, I don't know that it would be all it's cracked up to be because you might be confused most of the time, because Jesus was always elevating the conversation, and Jesus was God. He wasn't just a good man; he was God man. And sometimes the conversations were hard to understand. I'll, I'll give you an example. It started out. Actually, Matt read this a couple weeks ago. It started out when Jesus was really young. His parents they made the trip to Jerusalem. They're on their way back from Jerusalem to go home. They can't find Jesus. So they head back to Jerusalem. Three days, they're looking for their son. And I I love it. I think it's in the uh, NLT. It says it this way. His mother says, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. That sounds a little bit like my mom. Why have you done this to us? So this is classic Jesus. Why did you need to search for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And the next line says, they didn't understand what he meant. A 12-year-old, and what I love about this, you know, if you have a Bible that has the red letters when Jesus is speaking, I forget that it's Jesus, God, and the red letters like jumped out of me, right? This is Jesus speaking, and so they're not sure what he's talking about. So back to the boat. They're talking about bread. Jesus says, I'm not talking about bread. What's the yeast that Jesus was talking about? Yeast is a fungi, right? And just a little bit of it put in bread affects the whole thing. And the yeast is a metaphor Jesus is using for unbelief, for pride, for sin. And he's saying a little bit can contaminate the whole person. And they're still confused. And Jesus said, fine, you want to talk about bread? Let's talk about bread. There's one loaf and 12 of you. When I fed the 5,000 with just five loaves, how many were left? And they said 12 baskets. When I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many baskets were left over? And they said, seven. I think Jesus was saying, okay, I think we're good with one loaf and 12 of you because I'm on the boat. They had completely forgotten what Jesus could do and uses this phrase, do you remember? Do you remember what? Now, let's just pause real quick. I went to Sunday school growing up a lot when I was younger. We went to church every Sunday, and I went to Sunday school. I don't remember, as a kid growing up, them teaching that there was two times that Jesus fed the multitude. It was usually the feeding of the 5,000. And the reason it was such a big story is not only because of the impact. It's an amazing story. It's the, did you know it's the only... Miracle besides the resurrection that's mentioned in all four gospels Matthew Mark Luke John they all four mention the feeding five thousand the only miracle besides the resurrection that they all mention and then two of them Mark me included here mentioned the feeding of the four thousand now for me they probably told us that I just didn't remember because it seems like the week they taught the feeding of the five thousand they would bring crackers goldfish or little Swedish fish and hand them out to us, I don't ever remember the next week doing it again. Jesus did it twice. I could have got a lot more crackers and goldfish as a kid if I would have known there was two times that Jesus did this. But it's a big deal because this, I love when Jesus does something knowing that he can do it again. And he did it once, and he shows I can do it again, and he's calling them to remember just recently, I just fed 4,000. Isn't that so powerful, knowing something that Jesus does, he can do again? So let's go back and just read real quickly, just the verses in front of this. If you have your Bible, it's actually in verse 1 of Mark 8. Let's read the account of the 4,000. In those days, there was again a large crowd. They had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way and and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples said, Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place? How many loaves "'Do you have?' he asked them. Seven, they said. "'He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground, "'taking the seven loaves. "'He gave thanks, broke them, "'and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. "'So they served them to the crowd. "'They also had a few fish, "'and after he had blessed them, he said, "'These were to be served as well. "'They ate and were satisfied.'" Then they collected up seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he dismissed them. So I'd like to mention just three things that Jesus was trying to help them remember from the event that just happened. <clears throat> and this will help us, I think, like the disciples, move from the scarcity mentality There's only so much to the abundance mentality. So number one, scarcity focuses on what you don't have. Abundance focuses on what you do have. So Jesus is having compassion on the crowd because they were hungry and they had come a long distance. And look at verse 4. Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? So scarcity focuses on what you don't have. And that makes sense. They were in a desert place, and there did not seem to be enough food. But this is what scarcity does. Scarcity says, there's not enough. I'm sure in your life you've had that thought before. I'm not good enough. There is no hope for my marriage. There are so many people applying for this job. I don't stand a chance. My children don't listen to me. I give up. This is the way I am. Change is too hard. Will I have enough money to provide for my family? And what these thoughts are, are they're like landmines as you go over them. And it's a battle in your mind. And it's like every time you think on them, you're stepping on another landmine. And this injury happens to you, and it keeps you from moving forward. You become stuck in the battlefield of your mind. And this is exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants you to be immobilized. He wants you to believe there are limitations and those limit your potential. He wants to take legitimate truths and look at the worst possible scenario to frighten and paralyze you. Satan can cause you to question God's goodness. But Jesus asks a different question. Scarcity says focuses on what I don't have. Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? So abundance focuses on what you do have. So remember the abundance. What did they have? The first thought you would think is, well, they had a loaf of bread. Jesus is saying, you have me. That's what you have. And just like Jesus was on the boat with them, you have Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. As a matter of fact, Timothy, in the letter to Timothy, Paul said it this way, 1 Timothy 6, 17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. When Jesus promised abundant life, he is talking about a life with him and a life in him with purpose and wholeness and enjoyment abundance in this case doesn't necessarily mean an abundance of material possessions or money or the things the world offers that they call successful living those are so unreliable we were designed by our creator to have the greatest joy the greatest peace the greatest satisfaction And so Jesus says it like this in John, a verse that you're probably really familiar with, John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, scarcity, kill, scarcity, and destroy, scarcity. I have come that you have life and that you have it abundantly. You see, when you spend more time complaining about what you don't have, Instead of remembering the blessings and resources you do have, God wants to set you free of that. Nothing probably taught us more about scarcity than the toilet paper shortage of 2020. I kind of wonder if in 50 years, kids will look back and think that the coronavirus caused diarrhea. Because they're like, that's got to be what happened because everyone couldn't find toilet paper. Was there an actual shortage of toilet paper? No. Was there an actual increased need of toilet paper? No. What there was was a scarcity mentality that said, we've got to go get toilet paper, and so we emptied the shelves. How do we know that with God there will always be an abundance? When there was no way for you to rescue yourself from your sin, and there was no way to solve your eternal destiny, Jesus gave all of himself. Everything he could give, he gave. For you know the grace Of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. So even if you had a credit card with no expiration date and it was limitless, you would never be fully satisfied. Jesus wanted them to have faith in him and the fullness and abundance found in him. Secondly, scarcity holds on to things. Abundance puts them in the hand of Jesus. Verse six says, taking the seven loaves, he gave them. He gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. I thought about saying here abundance gives it away, which I think is true and consistent with scripture. But what I love is before they gave it away, they gave it to Jesus. Scarcity holds on to it. Abundance puts it in the hand of Jesus. Scarcity says, maybe God can't be trusted. Maybe God is holding out on me. And so we take things into to our own, own hands. This is a fundamental mindset of scarcity, which says there's only so much And so we must do whatever it takes, not only to get it, but to keep it. What happens when you give your life, your children, your time, your resources to Jesus? Fear says, I may not get it back. Fear says, I might be miserable. And Jesus knew that. And so in Luke 12, Jesus said this. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself that don't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. God delights to give you his treasure, his kingdom. He's not hesitant. He delights. See, our reaction is to have a plan B in case God doesn't come through. Now, what did Jesus do when they gave him the bread? It says he took it, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it back to them. When he gave it back, what was different about the bread? It's the same bread, right? The difference is that Jesus blessed it. And for you to experience the miracles that God has for you in your life, you have to step out on faith and give it to him. And one way to unlock faith is to remember what God has done and he can do it again. Like the disciples, you will have a demand in your life that's in front of you that you will not feel like you have enough. I'm not enough. I'm not a good enough husband. I can't forgive that much. Who has that much patience? Who could ever live with that person? And you know what? You're right. As long as it's in your hands, it will never be enough. You got to get it out of your hands and get it into his hands. So number two is Give it to Jesus. And then the third thing I see in this passage scarcity runs out, abundance satisfies and overflows. Scarcity runs out, abundance satisfies and overflows. Verse 8 says, They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. I like how Jesus included them in the miracle. He gave them the bread to give back to the people. But I wonder what it was like when Jesus handed the bread back to them and they started handing it out. Can you see them a little nervous, trying to act cool and calm like there's no big deal, having conversation like, ooh, is that your child? Oh, yeah, he's cute here. You know, take a piece of bread. The person takes it and takes off a big chunk. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not, not that much bread. Is that for you or is that for your whole family, the bread you took off? And I can see the hesitation that was probably the first time that the disciples went through this. And I know that that's what it would be like for me. As a matter of fact, when Valley was first starting It reminded me of a story. When Valley first began, we thought it would be good to be in a couple of the town parades. Now, Lafayette doesn't have any parades, but back when Valley started, there was a parade, a couple of parades that we decided we would be in. These were the parades that you were allowed to throw out candy. And so we made a beautiful float, put Valley community on the side. We were all excited. We get on the float, you make that first turn, and then you see the crowd, and we're just chucking out candy. you know kids and they're just loving it throwing it out the parade gets a little farther we get about two-thirds through the parade and we're looking at the bag of candy and there's hardly any left and there's all these people in front of us so now we're the church that's throwing one or two pieces out to kids and they're piling on to try and get one or two pieces of candy well we were in the parade the next year so we're smart now right So we turn that first corner. We're throwing out one or two pieces of candy. Interestingly enough, for some reason, and I think it might have been the weather and the parade, the day the parade was on, uh, the 4th of July, there wasn't as many people out this year, but we didn't know that. So we're throwing out one or two pieces of candy at the beginning. We start to get to the end of the parade, and we can see it coming up the end. Now we've got bags of candy And there's hardly any people. So now instead of kids jumping on each other to get candy, they're getting pelted by people on the float from Valley Community because we're throwing, they got to get rid of all this candy and throwing it out. And I wonder for the disciples, I wonder if at the beginning, the people in the front got little pieces. And as they kept supplying and Jesus is giving them more, as they get towards the back, we got way more of this people. And like instead of little pieces are just like, Take a loaf. Here, your family, everybody gets a loaf. And by the end, it's like they're collecting up, and there's not only satisfaction, they're full, it says seven large baskets. What would it be like if you were in this scenario? And I feel like the feeding of the 5,000, which had happened a few months before this, we could give them a pass. But... It seems like they had seen this before. And Jesus is on the boat with them and says, have you forgotten? And this had just happened. And not only that, the feeding of the 5,000 had happened before that. Now, when you think about forgetting, what does God actually want in your minds to remember? And I like how Paul says it in Ephesians three seventeen and the following verses that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you will be rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I love this, that you may know the depth and the height, the width of length of God's love to have the fullness of God. Everything about your God is more than enough. And our church alone has story after story of God being more than enough. I just remember a couple of weeks ago, actually, it might be a couple of months ago now. Time has gone differently the last year. Some of you know that we had been praying for Patrick Lebrano. Patrick and Cindy are part of Valley, and Patrick has a heart condition that he needs a heart transplant. And Patrick was sharing about how the last several years he's had a passion for handing out blankets and helping the homeless. And so Patrick has gone out the last several years and handed out blankets to those that are living on the sidewalks and the streets in the Denver, Aurora, and broader area. And Patrick said one of the days that he was out that he was helping someone with a blanket, and the person noticed his hat and said, what organization are you with? And they struck up a conversation, and the person he was giving a blanket to was a former minister, a faith leader in our community, who was now homeless. And Patrick said it impacted him so much that he went home and he started a GoFundMe page that we've got to get more blankets out to these people they're us. I mean, you know that they're us, but now it had come, this is one of our community members. Someone picked up on it, and they, he was given a couple hundred dollars, and Patrick thought that he would maybe raise $500. So Patrick went out, used the money from the GoFundMe, started buying more blankets, going out. People sent more money in. $5,000 later, Patrick's going out to local stores buying blankets and his wife Cindy said this and I thought this was really funny when Patrick said this he said my wife would say it's 9 p.m. it's freezing outside are you sure you should be going doing this and Patrick said it's freezing outside that's what I am doing and here's someone we've been praying for that God would give him a new heart that he could get a heart transplant, and his heart for this. And the supplies started coming in, and Patrick is now having to go out more and more and gather community members to give them out. And there are so many stories, people that I've gone to lunch with that share. their stories helping the at-risk, people that are helping immigrants that don't know the language, people that are bringing children in for foster care, people that are helping people with disabilities, and that's just Little Valley Community Church. It reminds me that of my daughter this last 2020. She likes to grow things in the garden, and she's done a few things. This last year in 2020, she thought she would go fill the whole garden. So she bought online seeds for corn, for carrots, for potatoes, and started to fill up our own garden. And you know what it's like to be a parent. This is my daughter, Chloe. You're super supportive. This is great. Let's do the soil. Let's do this stuff. And you got to hear this. She's putting these in, and but you're also cautious. Have you heard the phrase, knee-high by the 4th of July? This is July 4th, 2020. Her little seeds that she had put in the garden by the 4th of July, are now taller than she is. Now, is your faith in the seed or in the potential of the seed? And I love that story in the New Testament when Jesus says, if you have the faith of even a mustard seed, which, by the way, corn seeds, I thought they were a lot bigger than they were. Maybe it's just the internet, but they're really tiny. In the first couple weeks, there's nothing coming up. And then there's these little green things and you as a parent like are thinking, "Ooh, this, you know, you're excited for them, but in the back of your mind you're like, that's probably the weeds coming up." And your kids like, "No, that's the corn." And sure enough, it was the corn that came up. Your nothing, your little faith is often God's something. And when you plant it, when you give it back to him, when you respond in faith, God's nothing becomes something. I like it as an equation. Scarcity plus faith equals abundance. I would put it this way. Scarcity, your nothing, plus faith, your dependence, equals abundance, God's ability. That's exactly how Paul said it. When I am weak, then I am strong. So, as we wrap this up, Jesus' miracles are usually never about the miracle themselves. He's always trying to show his followers something. And here, he's reminding them that abundance is found in him. The word remember is found some over 250 times in the scripture, And our definition and understanding of whatever scarcity and abundance means is shaped by remembering who God is, what he cares about, and how he does things. You see, the more you know him, the more you love him, the more you respond in faith, you will begin to experience the abundance he offers. And here is what that will look like. Not more stuff that runs out and doesn't satisfy. It'll look like abundant joy. It'll look like abundant peace, abundant forbearance, abundant kindness, abundant goodness, abundant gentleness, abundant self-control, abundant forgiveness, abundant grace, abundant mercy. So when you're tempted to think there is not enough, When you're tempted to hoard it or to hold on to it, remember this account. We are serving a king who has an abundance at his disposal. After the feeding of the 5,000, there were baskets full of food. The leftover of the abundance of the kingdom was far greater than the scarcity That the world has to offer so be satisfied live abundant remember the abundance you have found in Jesus would you stand as we close in prayer if there was a credit card for the abundance that is found in Jesus I think on the front of it, instead of an expiration date, it would have the word faith. Because it's found in him, and faith is what unlocks. And that is what unlocked for them the ability to start handing it out. Let's ask God to move from scarcity to abundance. God, you've given us in your word the remembrance of what you've done time and time again. You did it for Adam and Eve. You did it for Abraham. You did it for Moses. You did it for Joshua. You did it for Elijah. You did it for Elisha. You did it for the prophets. You did it for his disciples. You did it for his apostles. You've done it in Valley Communities story. You've done it in the people A valley community and you've done it in our own lives help us to move from scarcity to abundance faith that unlocks the abundance of the kingdom help us not to forget the abundance it is in the name of jesus we pray this amen do you remember this we sang this earlier sing it with me Lord, unto me. Have a great day. Be blessed. Live in the abundance. Beginning to end your life. Is-